just pray that you bless the rest of the service, Lord. Bless every individual here today. Bless Pastor Steve as he brings another dangerous message to us. <laughs> we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. No pressure, Ray. Thank you. I always love the first Sunday when, when, I can bring, when I can wear a fleece and bring it here in hope that the weather is changing, and I wasn't sure if we'd get a few sprinkles here this morning when we were setting up. So, that's, so when I see my fleece over there, that's a good sign for me that we're finally in the change of weather. I debated whether or not to share this brief story because I, um, I don't want to throw this a, a guy under the bus a little bit who has gone home to be with the Lord now, so I hope that he will forgive me. But many years ago, I was doing a funeral, and uh, at the memorial service for his father, you know, I, typically you put a lot of time in that. You want to be sensitive to how people are feeling. And the day after it, I received a note, and I've actually kept it all these years. And in that note was this phrase. We have been told that this was the first memorial service that people actually enjoyed. I know he meant it as a compliment. But for some reason, at least initially, I had so much trouble taking it that way. All I could think about was, so does that mean that I was making all those other people miserable in all those other memorial services before this particular one? That's where, that's where my mind went. And what he meant for good, I actually felt smaller in that moment. I didn't trust myself. I actually doubted what I had, the effort that I had put in. I didn't like that feeling. And I wasn't quite sure what to take, what to make of this gentleman. He was sometimes hard to deal with. He had a very passionate personality, let's put it that way. But then two years later, when I least expected it, he sent me this card, which I've also kept, because it reminds me, I keep it with the other one. And in this card, which had glitter on it, thank you, there was this phrase, we appreciate you very much. And look fondly upon your years here. Thank you for your service. From a guy that I butted heads with, who gave me sometimes backwards, backhanded compliments, who I wanted to punch one time, and thankfully I didn't. Just getting that note of appreciation two years after I had just been feeling bad was a great lift in that moment. 
Today I want to focus on those times when you feel unappreciated, unacknowledged, and unseen. Especially when you give and you serve and you work and help more than anyone will ever know. Maybe it's stuff that you do here at church, whether it's up front or behind the scenes. Maybe it's stuff that you do at work or at school or things that go unseen in your family. And maybe those things that you do, you do it out of love or a sense of duty or it's part of your unique set of gifts and skills or it simply feels good to make a difference. But even when you have unselfish motives and a good heart every now and again, you'd still like somebody to notice and acknowledge the effort, the act, whatever it may be. If you've ever felt discouraged or feel, felt like you've been taken for granted, then guess what? Jesus has been there too. That's the whole point of our series, looking at things that Jesus has been through. He's been there and he understands what you are feeling. Everyone in some way has felt unappreciated at some point in their life. Maybe more than we really want to. Today we're going to look in Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have one on your phone you, and you like when it, I was reminded of this last week, we always keep a stack of Bibles over there. Um, and we even have Bibles for kids as well. So feel free, there, you can take them if you want. Luke chapter 17. And this was a moment where people didn't really appreciate what Jesus was doing for them. I'm going to start reading in verse 11, Luke chapter 17. It says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, this is Jesus' final journey. He's going to Jerusalem where he knows what's going to happen to him. He's going to give his life for humanity. And along the way, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. What do we know about Samaria That's where the Samaritans were. How did Jews and Samaritans get along? They didn't. They hated each other. We've talked before that Jews in that time called, considered Samaritans half-breeds because they weren't pure-blooded at that point. And as Jesus was going into a village, how many men had leprosy? Ten, it says. Ten men with leprosy met him. Leprosy was a, and still is, because it actually has made a recurrence in places like Florida. Leprosy is a terrible set of diseases. And when you read about, when you read the word leprosy in the Bible, it usually refers to a whole range of skin conditions. And one of the things with leprosy is that, according to Jewish law, it made you, you were considered unclean. If you had leprosy, not only were you not allowed to live in the city or in the community, You had to be isolated. You also had to tear your clothes. You had to leave your hair uncombed, if you had hair. You had to cover your mouth, and you had to walk around whenever you got close to people saying, unclean, unclean, 
Imagine how ostracizing that would be. This is what these men were going through. Ten of them. It says they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Basically, they're saying, help us. Heal us. We don't know what to do. We're cut off from the community. We can't even go to the temple and worship with people. We can't sacrifice to the Lord in the ways that we're supposed to. We're not able to follow the Jewish laws and customs. And after a long day of helping people, it's one more request that Jesus gets. He's not even into the city yet. And suddenly there's another group of people that need his attention. Maybe you can relate in some way. You get home, and sometimes the first words that you hear are, we're starving. What's for dinner? What are we having? Ew, I don't like that. Or you get to that point where you're finally ready to put your feet up. Those of you that have had kids, maybe you've had this experience, or maybe it was a long time ago. You get to that point, you want to put your feet up. Maybe you don't even know what that is. And suddenly you hear that voice, do we have any more poster board? It's 9.30 at night, and they say, my project is due tomorrow. One more request after a long day of helping people. Or you're at work and your boss plops another stack of work onto your desk and says, I need this done by lunch, and then walks away. One more request. And you might do whatever the thing that is, in, that is needed of you, but every now and then you'd still like some acknowledgement or awareness of what you did and the work that went into it whether it's in your family or at work or in any other capacity in this world. The ten men are crying out to Jesus, we need help, heal us. Verse 14 says this, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests, because that's what you're supposed to do. If the priest said you were clear of the skin disease, then you were allowed to go through some rituals to make yourself clean again. You had to cut off all your hair. You had to shave your eyebrows. You had to use a whole bunch of uh, different products. Some of the Jewish law is the original skincare regimen. If you read in Leviticus, it's very detailed. And it says, and this is the best part, as they went, they were cleansed. It was an amazing physical healing. And after this healing, verse 15 says that one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan, the enemy of the Jews at that time. Jesus, who didn't need acknowledgement from anyone else because he already had the approval of God, his Father, that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He says this for our benefit, verse 17. It's almost like he's saying it for the people that are around. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he's not saying it in a derogatory sense. He's saying, where are my people at? The one who doesn't know is the one who came back and praised the Lord. Today there are three things to remember when you feel unappreciated, unacknowledged, or unseen in your acts of service or the things that you help out with or the work that you do. I put them on the back of your bulletin. The first one is this. How people react to you doesn't define who you are. Newsflash, you don't get to control how people receive you or react to you or respond to you. I wish we could, but we don't. Intellectually, we know that how people respond to us doesn't mean who we are. It doesn't define who we are. We know this in our brain, but because we also have a heart, it's like it doesn't always quite connect with our heart. In a practical sense, we feel things, and people's reactions actually can distort our sense of who we are, our identity. If they react positively, we feel what? Satisfaction, sense of good. If they react negatively, we can feel disappointed and defensive, or even that we're inadequate or an imposter or a failure. That's what I felt like when that man sent me that first little note. He meant it as an appreciation, but that's not how I received it. I realized I received it incorrectly, but it still hurt. Jesus experienced people's reactions to him many times. Earlier on in the chapter in, in the Gospel of Luke, actually right after the story we looked at last week where Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert, afterwards it says he was ministered to by angels. You know, he had food, he, he was rehydrated, he was feeling a lot better, he probably gained a little weight back, you know, so he was healthy again. Verse 4, verse 14 of chapter 4, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. You can imagine Jesus is feeling good now. He passed the test, and now he's ready to begin his public ministry, what he was sent to earth to do. He's ready, he's prepared, he's empowered the very next verse says that what did he start to do? He was teaching in their synagogues and what? This is the best part. Everyone praised him. He was well received. They spoke well of him. You're amazing, Jesus. What insight you have. You don't even need three points. It's amazing. What's that quote again so I can share it with my friends? I think that they were reacting by doing something called the cow. Anyone familiar with the cow? Some of you actually do this, you know. You may not realize it. When you hear or see something you like, you nod and you go, mm. Mm. 
powerful. Mm, praise God. Mm. I've been in services where it sounds like a whole herd just going to town, living their best life. Everyone going, mmm, Jesus, mmm, amen. All of that. I'm telling you, once you hear the cow, you can't unhear it or unthink it. You're going to be probably self-conscious now, but please don't be. The cow is a good thing. Seriously, though, the people praise Jesus. They speak well of him. But this is the problem. Jesus knows what they really want to see. They want to see signs and wonders. They want the power show. They want the fog machine. They want the razzle-dazzle. They want people slayed in the spirit. They want to see everything happen. They want to see healings, people walking. Acts of power. So when Jesus instead shares examples of God's power passing over the people and instead coming to rest on foreigners, God working through people that were enemies of the Jewish people, the mood changes. Suddenly they don't like what he's saying at that moment, even though they praised that he was speaking truth a few minutes before. Luke 4.28 says this, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Please don't take me to Mount Diablo. From a powerful praise fest to a murderous mob just because they didn't like the message. That Jesus gave. Verse 15, mm, Jesus. Verse 28, kill him. It's hard at times, but how people react doesn't define how you are or who you are. I know someone needs to hear this today. Just because someone, someone else's inability to see your value doesn't mean that God thinks of you any less. People may not see that you are valued, but you are still worth it to God. Your true worth is actually because of who God says you are. Thank you. Beef is good. I'm indebted to that phrase, who God says you are. One of my teachers wrote a book with that exact title, Who God Says You Are, A Christian Understanding of Identity. And his whole point is that identity is, is complex. It has a lot of different parts to it. And so many people try to define and tell you who you are. But ultimately, if you are a person of faith, the only thing that matters is who God says you are. That is where your worth comes from. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible actually reveals all over who God says you are. It uses words like you are saved. You are adopted into God's family. You are fully known. You are fully forgiven. Do you know those, your kids are also learning about this today? The verse for this series that they are looking at, Pumpkin Patch, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. I put it on the screen for you. 
This is the verse that they're learning. They're learning about our sense of identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That means the old has gone, the new is here. That's part of your identity when you ally yourself to Jesus. I thought it would be interesting to ask you the question, though. What are some of the other words or phrases that maybe you've come across if you've looked at the Bible before that relate to who God says you are? What are some of those words or phrases that speak to your identity, who you truly are? Beloved. Beloved. That's a good word. Powerful. Powerful. Made whole. Created in his image. image. There's lots of phrases. They're littered all throughout the Bible. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Empowered. All sorts of words and phrases all over. Now, trust me, none of these will fit well on your business card. They definitely will not fit well in the other skills section of your resume. But they are actually the most important parts of who you are. Everything else, every other part of our identity derives from who God says we are. That's where our worth is found. Believe and trust in that. But don't take my word for it. Open the Bible. Read what it says. Read what God has already said you are. Allow that to encourage you to keep serving and giving and acting in love. So that's number one. How people react doesn't define who you are. Number two, those who you serve or work with the most often thank you the least. I would hazard that a guess that most of us understand this at some level, or we've felt this before. Ever done something nice for someone, like maybe you got them flowers, or you sent them a card, or you got a gift to a friend, and it was well-received? When you're younger and you do things like that, you learn what works. And those become, especially if you're a guy, part of what you would say, my go-to moves. Those terrible pickup lines that don't actually work. But the problem is, is if that act that you've done that was well-received, if that becomes your only move, and your flowers follow a schedule, or you send the same gift card again year after year, the impact can diminish. You don't get the same return on investment. It isn't because the other person isn't grateful. It's because it's become normal, even routine. It's hard to get excited when you get socks for every Christmas, no matter how practical they may be, or a toothbrush. Or in the case of my family, we always used to send, give everyone a lint roller every single year. It's a, yeah, you're anti-pet and anti-dust. Those things are cool, but it's hard to get super excited. Oh, thank you so much. It's exactly what I was hoping for, another lint roller. I do like them. She's looking at me like I'm a weirdo. I know. I, my family has done that for years. 
Those are, that's been a stocking stuffer for decades. Trust me, we have a lot of lint rollers at home. If you always make an amazing meal, then guess what? No one's going to react like a cow every single night. Mmm, last night's dinner was amazing. Well, guess what? Tonight's and tomorrow's probably will be amazing too. You might not get the same reaction you were hoping for. If you always show up for work early, by year seven, no one is impressed. Your boss isn't, and definitely not your coworkers. You're not going to get the same reaction from people, maybe that you were hoping for. Maybe it means we have to reset our expectations a little bit. We can't control how people react and receive what we do. Jesus felt this from his own people, even from his closest friends and followers. They didn't always appreciate what he was doing. Can you imagine being with Jesus? You know, we consider Jesus pretty amazing. But if you're with him day in and day out, some of that amazement might actually start to become normal. Dangerously so. You might actually not appreciate if you got to walk with him every single day. His disciples even responded inappropriately at times. They didn't even want to accept Jesus' acts of love and service that he was doing for their own benefit. Several weeks ago, we looked at the disciple Peter, at all those examples of how he failed time and time again, even falling to that lowest point where he did what? He denied he knew Jesus three times. And Jesus, when he did that, it says he looked at him, you could imagine the disappointment on Jesus' face. You know that look if you've ever gotten that from someone you love. Jesus was disappointed when Peter didn't believe in who he could become. So after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, what did he do? Did he rush back and say, you are such a disappointment? No. He served him again by cooking him breakfast on the beach. And he invited him to share a meal. And he spoke face to face with him. And he welcomed him back in. It probably took everything, every human part of Jesus to do that. When you serve people the most, those people that you serve the most, they often appreciate you the least. So what if we reverse that pattern today? You like to be appreciated, correct? We, all of us do in some ways. Kids like to appreciate. In fact, some of them might hear this and they might actually talk to you later on. Think of someone who's helped you out or been generous with you in the past in some way, whether it's big or small. Maybe it happened a long time ago and maybe not so long ago. And I encourage you to be bold. Call them today and tell them thanks. That you didn't realize it then, you didn't appreciate it then, but you appreciate it now. And even if you don't know how they'll react or have no control, you still have the potential to make a big difference in their day today. I didn't appreciate that my dad always made us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They're kind of boring at times. But later on, I came to appreciate it, especially knowing that my dad was allergic to peanut butter, and yet he still made those every day so we could eat at school. 
Last point. What is unseen is often most valued by God, and this is probably the most important one. What the world can't see is often what's most celebrated in God's eyes, most significant in his eyes. You know that our culture, we tend to celebrate what we can see. If we didn't have Facebook reminders, we wouldn't even remember when people's birthdays were. We offer congrats on the new house or job or graduation all because we saw you post a picture online. We celebrate those things because we see them and they remind us. But we rarely post when we've strengthened our character or spent hours alone in prayer. And we rarely acknowledge those moments because those are hard to see. And our culture doesn't reward what we can't see. It's only the picture you post on Instagram. We see the press release of a large charitable gift and we're amazed, so we praise that rich person, but we don't acknowledge the one who quietly and faithfully works hard to serve others far from the headlines. What's invisible to the world, however, is often most worthy of God. Jesus was quite direct in his teaching on this. He says in Matthew 6, Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. He actually says that's all the reward you get if you're seeking the approval of people around you for the good things that you do. If you want to give the big gift and have that big stunt check that's six feet long and post it on Instagram, good for you, but that's the reward you get. That's it. Verse 4. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And I want you to take note of that. Who sees everything will reward you. Even if no one else sees, God the Father sees all. It's actually one of the names for God in the Old Testament. El Roy. The God who sees. He sees the good you do. He sees the love you show. He sees the motives of your heart, the sacrifices of your body, the love that you extend when no one else notices. He sees when you do what's right, even though it's easier to cut corners because no one's looking. He sees when you clean up after them again and again because you're a diaper ninja. He sees when you take on extra work because you want to provide for your family or for others so they don't have to struggle quite like you did. And the Father in heaven, El Roy, sees when you cry out to him to provide and heal or restore or release. I'll close with this. If your partner doesn't notice, if your boss doesn't seem to care, if your kids take you for granted, if your work and service goes unacknowledged, remember this, God sees you perfectly. And he acknowledges you. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget the work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Jesus healed 10 men, 10 people, One came back. 
However, that lackluster response did not cause Jesus to give up or lose hope or faith in the ones that he came to serve and love and save. Like Peter, he actually acknowledged that one man who came back in gratitude to God for what he had done for him. And this is what Jesus said to him in Luke 17, 19. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That word well is actually the beautiful word related to, it's called sozo, which means heal, save, rescue. What's that last one? Make whole. Your faith has made you whole. You see, everyone saw the physical change that this guy didn't have leprosy anymore. But Jesus acknowledges the deeper change in this man's heart as equally significant. Maybe even more so. My friends, may we strive to be that one. That one. In how you serve and give to one another out of love. In how you respond, acknowledging what the Lord has done for you and what his spirit continues to do within your heart. God is so close to you, and he won't let you go or give up on you. That's good news. We need, mm, thanks, Ray. I always appreciate that. Now, now every time I get, mm, I, yeah, I'm going to remember that. I love that God doesn't give up on us. In the end, the best acknowledgement that you can desire and hope for is to stand before the Father one day and hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, it says, come and share in my happiness. Church, let's pray. Father, thank you. We trust that you see the work of our hands and our hearts We pray for an increase of joy as we continue to serve and love and give of ourselves to help those around us. We also confess the truth of what we sometimes feel. We do feel unnoticed, unappreciated, taken for granted, even unloved. Will you remind us of the truth that you are the one who reveals our deepest sense of who we truly are? that we are of immense worth in your eyes. We thank you, God, that you are the one who sees us. We thank you that you acknowledge us. We pray that you would continue to guide us, that you would know the pain that we feel sometimes. We know that your son Jesus has been there before, so will you now help us to follow in his steps? and give us the strength to respond to whatever crosses our path this week. We offer this prayer to the God who sees us, El Roy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Sometimes we take praising the Lord for granted. When, when Jesus healed those ten men, they had the opportunity to actually be a part of the worshiping community for the first time in probably a long, long time. This is the blessing that they would have heard from the priest. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Imagine hearing that for the first time in years. What a blessing that would be.
Church, have a wonderful week. Go in peace.